All right. Uh, recording in three, two, one. In this episode of the Explore Information Security Podcast, what are the steps to secure application development? Welcome to the Explore Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring what are the steps to secure application development. Joining me today to help answer this question is Jim Manico. Jim, how are you? Timothy, I'm doing great. How are you doing this morning? I am doing fantastic. How's the how's the Hawaii weather, by the way? Hawaii weather is awesome. Tim, people <laughs> ask, people ask me all the time, is is Hawaii really this awesome weather? Is is Hawaii really this idyllic scene that you see on TV? All that perfection. And the answer, Tim, is yes. Yes, it is actually. So you've been able to fight off the island fever that I've heard so many people get after they've been there for you know a year or longer. Well, Tim, I, I, I'm off island traveling, doing teaching more than I am at home for the last like three or four years running. So I have more like nostalgia for home. I want to be home in Hawaii as much as I can. But, <laughs> you know, secure software has got me, you know, secure coding and the topic of application security. I am literally off island about nine months every wow. year for, for the last three or four years. Uh, so then you get to go home to paradise after your after your yeah. long training session. That's 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 awesome. My neighbor jokes and calls it vacation. He's like, "Oh, you're here on vacation for a little while." So <laughs> it's pretty much what it is these days. Yeah, yeah. So I decided to ask you to come on because uh, several months ago you did a webinar on on like the five steps to building an an application secure development program. Um, but before we actually get to all that, I want to know how you got your start in application security. You know, my, I, I was brought up as a developer. I got a degree in computer science and I was ready to just be a developer most of my career. On Kauai, another security professional is named Stephen Northcutt, who works for the SANS Institute. And Stephen is the one who dragged me out of development and encouraged me to start a security career. And, and I'm very grateful that he did that for sure. Yeah, no, that's good. I've I, I work with developers as well, and, and and certainly the ones that have like that security interest. I'm always like, well, we could always use a couple more bodies over here. Yeah, exactly. And, and and they're like, they're like, no, 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 not yet. It's not right for me yet. I don't. I feel like doing it yet. Like, is so is that kind of your experience too? Is people just kept peppering you until you're finding like, okay, I'll I'll come over. No, I was Stephen hired me to do security work for SANS. And it was a variety of different work where I was doing development where security minded, right? I was writing code for a security company and they really wanted to get building those properties done correctly from a security point of view. I was also a teacher for SANS back in the day, which required me to have mastery over secure software and security issues. It was just part of the job. And and they gave me the time to learn what I needed to learn. It was a it was a very very positive experience. But but in general, I agree with you. Developers are often resistant to being called a security professional. But but Tim, I think that's okay. We, we don't always need developers to join security operations team. If developers care enough about security and and want to stay as part of the development teams. That's just as valuable, if not more valuable, than a traditional security professional. So I'm okay with developers wanting to stay in that world for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's a that's a, that's a great point. So why is secure application development important? 
Well, I honestly believe it's one of the only paths to really having secure software. If your organization needs to write their own software, security matters today. This is the golden age of security. We see a new hacking incident every couple of days in the mainstream news. Even my my parents, you know, my grandparents are aware of security problems these days. So I, I think the the debate of whether or not it's important to write secure software. I think that's pretty much a solved issue. I think that we, we realize at this point, at some level, especially for popular public-facing data-sensitive services, we need to do security. And in order to accomplish that security, we need developers involved. There's no magic product we can just buy and slap onto our web application that's going to automatically fix it. We need engineers to be involved. Writing secure code if we want to have secure software, that's my conjecture, Tim. Yeah. Are, are you seeing, uh, do you feel like it's easier now than it was in the past to kind of get that message across? Much, much easier. There, uh, like my, my main job is I, I t- I'm a teacher. I teach developers to write secure code and I am booked. It's, it's something that's driven by PCI. It's something that a lot of people just intuitively know they need, they need to do that to, as part of their security assurance plan. Um, so I, I think several years ago, only compliance drove this kind of activity. It was a lot of developers entered these classes kicking and screaming. And I don't have that experience today. I think everyone gets it and is for the most part on board with with the knowledge, is on board knowing that they have to learn about writing secure software at some level. Yeah, in, in my experience, it's been you know, I feel like it's management or leadership kind of pushing some of this. There seems to still be some developers that are kind of like they do it because management says so. Is that kind of your your experience or do you kind of have something where you're, you're working with developers that are like, yeah, I want to do this? So we can say it's management said so, or we can also say it's C-level leadership driving security initiatives, right? There's the there's the more politically correct way of saying it. Let's try that again. You ready, Tim? <laughs> this is an executive level initiatives driving security program. And frankly, Tim, I want that. I want C levels. Right. C levels and boards need to realize when these security incidents happen in public companies and similar, they're liable. They they sign the dotted line of liability at that level of executive leadership. And when problems go down, ultimately they're responsible. So I, I see a lot of C-levels and a lot of boards of large companies who are themselves sponsoring, pushing, driving significant security initiatives. This is not a joke anymore. We Again, we're in the golden golden age of security, Tim, and, 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 the, and that's in part the golden age of hacking. We're seeing massive incidents on a very regular basis, but this is also the golden age of defense. This is the era where developers, and my conjecture is developers are essentially being reclassified right now. So all of you listening to this podcast, you are no longer a developer. Tim, are you primarily a coder by any chance in your job? Do you do Uh, any coding? No, no. You're you're, you're a security guy, right? Yeah. So to all your developers, just let them know. There's no more developers joining the security team. We don't need that because if you're a developer... Mm -hmm you're already a security engineer. The work that you're doing has direct impact on the attack surface of the organization. 
You may not realize it. You may not admit to it. You may not be cool with that job change, but the truth is still there. Developers, you're security engineers now. Welcome to the team. <laughs> whether you like it or not, whether you care about it or not, whether you actually do the work or not, the impact of what you do, you're still a security engineer, like it or not. That's the world we live in, Tim. Yeah, I know that, and that's that's an interesting way of framing it. I actually have never thought of it that way, um, but I have I have run into developers who it's they they write this long like paragraph in their chat system or you know whatever they are on on, on the work they're doing, and it's like two paragraphs of like really good security th like ideas and concepts that they see as an issue that they need to follow or need to be aware of, and then like the last sentence is, "But I'm not a security person." So now I can kind of reframe that and say, no, 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 you are a security are. person. Yeah. So that's great. So so what are the steps to a secure application development program? Rather than list off the different steps, I'll put it this way. Every single phase of the software engineering lifecycle usually needs to address security in some way. And the earlier, the better. The, the earlier we can start addressing security the cheaper it's going to be. And that doesn't matter if you're using a fast approach SDLC that's very DevOps-centric or if you're doing a slow, more traditional software development lifecycle like the waterfall model. It doesn't matter. Every phase of the SDLC needs to address security in some way. So is there like an area that's better to get started in or is that kind of just based on the environment? I would say it's better to start early. So when you're doing your initial business planning for the software, your initial uh, business requirement gathering, most definitely we can start addressing security in those requirement gathering processes, in our initial conversations with the business. Most of we can do architectural type of review once we start getting a little more detailed. Even if they're traditionally thought of as soft activities, there's definitely security review and design type activities early in the SDLC that are very valuable in the process of building secure software. Yeah, that and one of your one of your points from the webinar that I I really took away was like uh, establishing requirements. Exactly. What kind of requirements should people be looking at? One of the requirement documents that I think is a good starting place to building your own application security requirements is the ASVS standard. This is the application security verification standard. The primary document is on version 3.0.1. It's primarily for web and web service developers. It's a little less than 200 requirements broken up into three tiers of severity that are all about building secure web applications and web services. With the mobile application team at the OWASP Foundation, there's also the massive MASVS, that's the Mobile Application Security Verification Standard, another large list of requirements for mobile development. I recommend your organizations take the standard, fork it specific to your teams, and then use that as your standard for development. It's not meant to solve every question, but it's a starting point. It helps your different development teams and for that matter, security teams be on the same page around defining what secure software is. So rather than secure software be this hamster wheel of pain 
where you do some pen testing, go fix those bugs. The whole idea of security requirements is that you're intentionally, intentionally building secure features into your software from day one as if it was any other software engineering feat that you were trying to accomplish. So yeah, it's ASVS from the OWASP Foundation, the Application Security Verification Standard, a list of security requirements that can serve as the base of your requirement list in your own organization. I think that's fundamental, Tim. And is that, so is that, and maybe you've already kind of already answered this by, by your forking comment, but you're going to have different requirements for like different, for mobile, for, you know, application, web applications, things like that. Well, even the same web service may have different requirements. So we encourage any team to go through the ASVS that's appropriate for their team and to fork it for their team. Rather than have this be something the security team forced on developers, I want developers in the room walking through these security requirements and signing off on them and agreeing that these are reasonable to approach for our software teams. That way, there's a very uh, subtle psychological movement here. Rather than this requirement list being something that is forced on developers from the security team, it's now something that they went through, that they discussed, that they agreed was a good requirement for development. Well, now the developers own it. This is a very soft activity, but I find it to be very important when trying to encourage a team of engineers to care about this stuff. So how do you then like account for their accountability on these requirements? That's a good question. How do you account for accountability once we have requirements? Well, we want to have other activities later in the SDLC. We're going to do various static analysis and dynamic analysis and pen testing and do various assessments to, to make sure that the software engineering activities actually did produce good software that's secure. And so based on the assessment data, based on how your various pen testing and other testing activities went, we can look back to those requirements and see how well they were adjusted. So that's the key accountability part is we're gonna trust developers to help us build security requirements, but we have to go back and verify that the work they're doing is secure. And that verification is not just a, a one-stop pit stop. That should be a continuous process throughout the SDLC as well. Right, and and if you find something new that wasn't a requirement, then is, is that just a, a collaboration with the group or is that just something going back and setting a new requirement for it? Well, this is the secret here for security teams, right? This is the big secret. Once you have a requirement list in place that the developers agreed upon, it's pretty easy to add to that over time. The hard part is getting it in place and being used as a real resource and artifact from day one. But once it's in play and people are using it, of course we can go back and based on the data, modify that list over time. That, that's key to, to long-term successful SDLC. Good. Um, so, who should imp be implementing these steps then, or these phases? I don't. I don't like the steps. I like, I like your term of the phases. Well, usually, like a development manager or the, the the famous term, the scrum master, some kind of software development leader, is, it should be running this. But everybody has responsibility for doing it right. 
So is this just something where you're kind of guiding then the development manager or the scrum master in this from the security side? Well, hopefully the scrum master was part of the process that built the requirements that the scrum master is someone who is part of supporting those requirements and the scrum master is budgeting these sprints into the scrum process as part of his job. And if you're approaching insecure software for the first time, like you have legacy debt, then you do some security sprints and address those items specifically in a few sprints to catch up. Otherwise, security should be a part of every single sprint. So hopefully your scrum master is educated, understands security requirements, help drive those security requirements, and is one of the leaders and pushing for security within a, within an SDLC, right? This shouldn't be something that, oh, okay, I guess I'll deal with security. This is not a bolt-on thing. This is not an extra Lego to add on. It's an integrated part of how you build software at its best, I dare say. So now when you say Scrum Master, is that is that like across all different development life cycles? Yes, yes, very much. I'm just saying... Some software development leader. Scrum okay. Master is, is just the coolest sounding name. <laughs> yeah, if I say you're a software development manager, that's that's kind of boring. But if I say you're a Scrum Master, oh, that's pretty awesome. That just right. sounds awesome. So someone that's kind of ha- is overseeing the entire process and the development lifecycle. Yeah, and, and it depends on, on this role. I see some software development managers who are more like architects and meeting managers and they sit in their office and answer business email and go to a lot of business meetings and that's their job. I see other software development managers who are in the pit, uh, in the pit with the crew writing software every day, you know, interacting with developers. That's the kind of manager that I'm trying to uh, build up in terms of someone who drives security requirements. When you're in your office doing, and you're more of a, a manager's manager, it's hard for you to affect security. You kind of have to be in the pit crew involved and working with developers every day to do this right, in my opinion. So is there a difference in organization size or, or have you seen uh, the need for a different approach based on how big the development team is? Yeah, I, I think definitely you do. And I, I just overall have better success with smaller software development teams. Like the, the whole idea of these of trying to corral a giant a giant team of developers is very challenging. Very often, even a large team of developers, they self-organize into different groups. You have your user interface group, you have your your web service developers. You have the user interface team. So you know, I, I, I like to work with those individual teams as much as possible. The more, the more we can craft our security activities specific for those teams, the better chance we have success. When trying to corral and guide just a giant team of developers who are operating like cats and do their own thing as part of their mentality, it's very difficult to influence those folks. Okay. Well, that's good. I think, I think that's a, a pretty good uh, overall view of, of uh, building a, or, or the steps to a secure application development program. What resources are available to learning more about secure application development? 
I think for your homework, I'd start by going to read. I'd go read the OWASP top 10 just once and then discard it. That's a good awareness document. From there, I would go read the application security verification standard for web and web service developers. Then I'd go and read the massive, the mobile application security verification standard. I'd go and read that for your, if you're a mobile developer. From there, I'd look at go look at the Open SAM project from the OWASP Foundation. Open SAM is a software development maturity model. It can show you based on what size your organization is and, and based on uh, you know, how many developers you have, which security activities you should be doing within the SDLC. That's another management document called Open SAM. And between those three or four documents, you have a lot of reading to do already. That's a great start. Um, again, OWASP top 10, go look at the ASVS standard and go look at the, um, what was the third one? And go look at yeah, the OWASP top 10, the ASVS, and the Open SAM document. If you still are dying for more reading, go look at the OWASP proactive controls. That's more of a defensive list of items that you can focus on as a developer. Between that collection of reading, Tim, there's a, there's plenty of homework for you. <laughs> yeah, those, those are not small documents. So, yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to mention that you haven't already discussed? No, I, I, again, I, I want to sum up by saying you're not a developer anymore. You're a security engineer. Whether you like it or not, the impact of your work is going to have a radical effect on security of your organization developers. So don't fight it. Just do security. It's now part of all of our jobs, whether we like it or not. And heck, it's 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 a fun challenge. And it's something that's going to be in our faces for the rest of our career. So we might as well do it. Tim, and thank you, Tim. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I appreciate your time as well today. Yeah, no, absolutely. What? Uh, so what, what can we plug for you? I don't need anything plugged. I'm just here to promote secure software. That's all I care about. So I, well, well, you are. I, I did do a, a YouTube search of you on uh, YouTube, and you see you are all over the place. So uh, if you guys need to look up Jim Manico, it, it's not hard to find anything on him. Twitter it is what's your Twitter at least? Let's get that. A manicode. M A N I C O D E. Awesome. So, all right. Well, thank you for joining me to discuss the steps for a secure application development program. Tim, thank you so much for having me on the show. You have a wonderful day, sir. That will do it. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one.